Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. I am so glad to be here today because I, um, I feel like maybe more than any other time I've ever preached before, like, like it's a divine assignment to tell you something today. I actually wasn't even supposed to preach. My dad was supposed to be up today, and I called him Wednesday, and I was like, hey, would you mind if I butt in? <laughs> would you mind if we skip the rest of your sermon series, and I have an idea that I really feel like needs to be shared today? And then a current of events happened that just like strengthened my reserve to be able to talk to you guys about what I want to talk to you today about. Um, I was one of five, so I was the baby for a little while, and then my brother came along in a great miracle from Jesus. You can ask my mom and dad about that one. <laughs> and um, I have always been the kind of girl that thinks she's strong. Okay? I'm talking physically strong. I'm the kind of girl that, like, there's pretty much no challenge I won't at least attempt. Um, and here's the deal. My sister, Katie, she's kind of the same way. So Katie and I are like two peas in the pod. We have the same, literally the same talking voice. If you ever hear Katie speak, you're all like, we know. Yes. If you hear Katie speak and you close your eyes, you're like, is that Sarah or Katie? Someone texted me once and they're like, great sermon. And I was like, not me. Um, but Katie also thinks she's strong. So when we were little, we had to put it to the test, Okay. And there's only one way to put it to the test. It was a wrestling match, okay? Sister wrestling match. And only tap out would win. No rules, just tap out. And I felt good about this. I felt like I'm taking this sister down, okay? She doesn't have a chance. And I was so confident in my head. And I started, you know, as quick, wiry. But Katie was smart. Katie's like, we're not going to work harder here. We're going to work smarter here. And sister just used her entire body weight to lay on top of me. <laughs> and I'm very claustrophobic. And sister just spread out and held. And inside my mind, I started to like, anyone else in this room claustrophobic? It's a feeling of like, you start to panic. You start to not be able to breathe a little bit. You really, really, really want to get out of whatever the situation is that you're stuck, and I couldn't get out. Katie was just laying and holding and keeping me down. And my mind was like, get up, get up, get up. And I finally tapped. I know, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> so now we're full-fledged adults, and it maybe's couple years ago, and I'm still convinced that she just took the cheap way out. So I re-challenged her to the match. As full-grown adults, we basically look like this. Probably had our dresses on, you know? Um, and don't you know, Katie pulled the one card she pulled before and just laid on top of me and held. And sure enough, claustrophobia came in. I'm screaming on the inside. There's nothing I can do. And I tap again. So Katie Brown still holds the record of the strongest sister. Although, 
Crystal probably could kick all our butts, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> but can I tell you, sometimes I feel like that is our mental life. Sometimes I feel like our mental well-being can be like someone is laying on top of us and we can't shake them off. There is a weight that is too big to bear and we're saying, get up, get up, get up. But I can't get up. I can't shake it off. I can't suck up the things that I need to suck up. I can't pray hard enough to make it go away. Have you guys ever seen a weighted blanket before? This blanket's 20 pounds. And I feel like sometimes in our life, this is how we go through life. We show up, it takes a little extra effort to get there because there's a weight on us. It takes us a little more effort to get out of bed because something's weighing us down. And we try to do life, but we've got this weight carrying us around. It might be depression. It might be anxiety. It might be fear. It might be trauma. It might be PTSD. It might be a lot of things. And you know what? We have them for all different kinds of reasons. We have issues because maybe our chemicals in our brains just aren't right. And sometimes we need more help than just talking about it. Sometimes we need more help, and we need a really good doctor, a really good therapist. Sometimes we get hormones going. Don't get me started, ladies. Sometimes, not sometimes, for, for most of us in this room, the way we talk to ourselves can keep us weighed down worse than anything else in our entire life. For some of us, the weight of our thoughts keep us stuck. I was doing some research for this sermon, and you know, our brain has actually got this filter. And it's called the reticular activating system. And just by learning this fact, it, it made my mind start to swim. Because here's what the reticular activating system in our brain does. It's a filter. And guess who programs this filter? We do. And the voices of our past. And this filter system, here's how it works. Your brain can only process so much information. And what happens is you determine, you set your neurons in order, you've created pathways that help filter out what's coming at you. So let me give you, for example, let's say you feel unlovable, or someone somewhere deep long ago told you you're not lovable. The reticular activating system actually is firing neurons all day long to prove that that is true. It filters out anything that's probably helpful to fight against it, and it's just trying to prove the fact that you are unlovable. Maybe at work you feel like no one likes you, or maybe you just feel that way in life. Your reticular activating system is now queued up to look for reasons why people don't like you. 
and neurons are firing in your brain to tell you again and again, see, look it. You guys knew the, the new car? When you get a new car, all of a sudden you see all the new cars that are the same as yours? That's your reticular activating system because you've queued it up. You've set it up so that here's what it's gonna look for. When I learned that idea, it blew my mind because here is the deal. You do not have to stay stuck in the same thinking. You do not have to let that filter in your brain stay there. In John, there was a man who, at some point in his life, got hurt. Something happened, he got sick. He was paralyzed. And I'm gonna read it, it's John 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep pool, sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. There was this idea that if you went to this pool of Bethesda, you were lying, you were blind, you were paralyzed, you were sick, that if you got in the pool at just the right time, you would be healed. And so a lot of people would go and they would sit there. And now verse five, it says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I started reading commentaries on this scripture and they were talking about like verse four, verse four, verse four. If you have a scripture with you right now, look at John 5, verse 4. Most of us won't be able to find it. The verse is missing. It's not in scripture. So I had to go and dig and see why. Why is verse 4 not in scripture? I need to know. And here's the idea. When they would write, copy scriptures, they would often leave notes in the side. And one of the notes they believed that was left in the side of this scripture, they, someone at some point added it in and made it scripture. And what verse four says was that an angel would come, stir up the water, people, the first person to get in the water, then would be healed. But in the earliest manuscripts, that's not in there. And so they believed, they were just trying to explain what the superstition was, what people actually thought. But when I was looking for verse three or four and couldn't find it, it was missing, I thought to myself, how many times do we go to the things that are empty to try to get help? How many times in our life do we go to maybe alcohol, maybe drugs, Maybe we numb ourselves, and if it's depression, maybe it's just the bed. How many times do we go to the things that when we show up, we're always left a little bit empty? We're always left wanting a little bit more because there's this God-sized hole in our hearts that nothing will fill, nothing will numb, nothing will cure the way that our Heavenly Father will cure. The way that our Heavenly Father can help start us to renew our mind. I think about this man 
laying there because here's the deal. At some point in his life, someone helped him get to this pool. At some point in his life, someone got him there and got him settled in. And I can't imagine the hope he must have had. The hope he must have had that if I can just get in this pool, I'm going to be better. And I think with mental illness, sometimes we feel the same way. We have these, like, if I can just lose the weight, if I can just get over this breakup, if I can just find the right person, if I can just make them see, if I can, if I can just, and we try to put these conditions on, and there's a real hope that's set inside of our hearts. But day after day, this man, he sat there. Day after day, he, he watched People go in that pool. And we know in 38 years, he never once made it in. In 38 years, he never once angled himself, got the help he needed to actually get in the pool. And I think to myself, man, in 38 years, brother, I could have done that in a couple weeks. You know what I'm saying? I would have rolled if I had to. Army crawled. But then I started thinking, this pool was superstition. This pool was not the cure. And I wonder how long it took him to realize that. I wonder how long it took him to see people go in, and I'm guessing they didn't get cured. I'm wondering how long it took him to realize that that was not the hope that he thought it would be. But what breaks my heart is he stayed. What breaks my heart is day after day after day, he sat on his mat and he stayed stuck. Day after day after day, he was with like-minded people. He was with people who probably didn't have much hope either. I heard a pastor say, he was like, hey, what are you going to do today? He's like, I don't know, I'm probably just going to lay here. What about you? And he's like, I was thinking the same thing. And isn't it true that when we get around healthy people, sometimes we get healthier? And sometimes when we're around unhealthy people, we stay stuck. And this man laid there day in and day out. I feel like my divine assignment is to tell someone today, God does not want you to stay stuck. I feel like my divine assignment is not to shame you, not to make you feel bad, but to say we understand. Your heavenly Father knows. He sees you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows whatever is keeping you down. And he wants you to know that he loves you and that he has seen you. He shows up in the scripture and he says to the man, do you want to be healed. 
And this question like caught me off guard because normally people are like seeking Jesus out and they're like, heal me, heal me, heal me. But Jesus goes like straight to the heart, straight to the heart of the question. Do you really want to be healed? I think there's a truth in our life that no one can do it for us. There's a truth in our life that we do have to do it for ourselves. We have to want it. We have to want true healing. And here's what I love about how God designs us. He designs us so we don't have to stay stuck. He designs the brain that it's got something called neuroplasticity. I love studying the brain because I just fall more in love with God. I think he's a genius. And the brain is never set. The brain is always able to be bent. It's always be able to form new thoughts, new neurons, new pathways. And because sometimes we have done the same thing for so long, we've created these grooves. I read a book from Craig Rochelle called Winning the War in Your Mind. If you struggle with healthy thinking, I highly, highly, highly recommend that book. It gives you practical practices, <laughs> exercises to do that really help start getting you healthy. When I think about the brain, it's funny because if I have control over reprogramming it, if I have control over getting it healthy, then how do I start? What do I do? How do I do it? And I heard this thing, and it's funny because you know when you see something, this is the reticular activating system, you start to see it everywhere in scripture. You're like, oh, God came up with it first. He's a genius. Amen? Over and over and over and over again in the scripture, you're going to see God call us to meditate on his word. Over and over and over again, you're going to hear passages like, um, like Romans. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. There are going to be so many things that we want to try. There's going to be so many things that feel like maybe they could give us the right kind of hope, but just don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? There's passages like Philippians, and in Philippians it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is normal, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So often, I think we don't even catch ourselves in our thinking. And here's the truth. Our, our lives are always going to move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives are always going to move in the directions of our strongest thoughts. So who is guiding your thought process? Where does your help come from? When you need help, I want you to think about a God who loves you, a God who is coming for you, a God who is just and mercy. Do you know what the Pool of Bethesda actually stands for? It's the House of Mercy. And how crazy that the, probably the most miserable people are sitting there just hoping for something. 
The most miserable people are just sitting there, but I don't feel like it's on accident because do you know how God responds to the misery of our heart? He responds by mercy. Church, I feel like I just have to say sometimes the Bible can be used against us in unhealthy ways, and if you have ever been hurt by someone who got it wrong, I just apologize. I want you to know that God is so so, so much better than we think. The more you study, the more you're like, oh, I just want to be around him. I was talking to my brother yesterday, and I was like, you know, this life of mine has been this, like, crazy thing because it's like, I never had a great group of, like, friends. I had an awesome family, but I never had, like, girlfriends or, like, I just never had that. I had people that I could call any time. I had people that I loved, but I never had that, like, you know, you get together all the time kind of thing. Never really had it in elementary school, never really had it in high school. And I just remember this, like, time in my life where I was just like, God, it's you and me. And my relationship with God didn't, didn't develop, like, all in one grand moment. It developed over time where I just truly believed he was my best friend. I did truly believe that he loved me, that I didn't disgust him, that the things where I, I think the unholy one is real and he wants to hold you back. And sometimes we don't talk about it, but man, is the unholy one real? And if he can stop you right up here, if he can hold you in the place of shame, if he can hold you in the place of just no one can know, or if he can hold you in the place of brokenness, then he wins. And your heavenly father doesn't want it. Several years ago, I got a call, and it was just like one of those calls you just never, ever want. And it was a call to tell us that someone in our student ministry had committed suicide. And my heart just was like, so broken. And we rushed to be with his girlfriend, and we went to the hospital, and we just like spent all day there. And I feel like the unholy one wants you to believe that suicide is good, that it's shiny and pretty, and it's the answer. I think the unholy one wants you to believe sometimes when you get unhealthy enough and we think wrong long enough that it is the answer, that people would be better off without you. But that is not from our Heavenly Father. That is from an unholy one who wants to rob your life, who wants to destroy it. Our Heavenly Father has created you with a plan and a purpose. And where your brain wants to hold you down, God wants to free you. Where your life feels stuck and it's day in and day out and it just feels like someone's laying on you and you don't know how to get help, your Heavenly Father is meeting you here right now in this moment and he's just saying do you want to be healed? This man answered and he said, no one will help me. No one will get me to the pool. I can't, I can't ever get in because when I try to get in, someone else comes. Sometimes pastors will talk about like these excuses. Like I heard a sermon called lame excuses. And I do buy it because I do know in my life there have been excuses, but can I just tell you how Christ addressed it? He said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Mm. 
he didn't shame the man. He didn't say, I don't want your excuses. Because I feel like that's what I would have said. That wasn't the question, bro. I said, do you want to be healed? You know, that's where I would have been. But that's not how Christ met him. I feel like the theology of this sermon might really uproot some of you today. Because Christ didn't ask for explanation. He didn't ask for, he said, do you want to be healed? And then he healed him. I think sometimes we can have a bad view of God. I think about some of the things that religion has told us. I think about some of you young 20-somethings who are in a real world. And sometimes church has got it wrong. I think about people who are ready to like hurt themselves instead of just talk about it. Instead of just like let it out. And I feel like there's this like shame put on. But there was no shame from Christ. He said, get up. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to stay stuck. He doesn't want you to have to keep doing it over and over and over again. I thought about this so much. I was like, why does Jesus tell these paralyzed people to take up their mat? I just couldn't help, but I was like, the same stuff that's like weighing us down, the same stuff that we're just stuck in and hurt and trauma, and sometimes it's our own fault, but guys, a lot of times it's not. And we're weighed down, and then we just, we're like this man on the mat, and we just stay stuck. But Jesus says, pick up your mat. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Can I tell you the things that kept me stuck? The shame I carried in my heart and in my mind was the same thing that God used as my testimony. The things that have kept me burdened and trying to figure life out is the same thing that became my story. There's a song that's called Before and After. And all the things that I thought I just could never talk about or no one could understand, they became part of what made me way more influential. Because I'm not going to get up here and lie. I'm not going to get up here and talk about things I don't believe. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to tell you things that are on my heart. And I'm going to go home and take a really long nap. (laughs) I believe God doesn't want you to stay stuck, that he wants to help you, that he wants you to know there is no judgment. There's no pain when you seek out God, that he is good, that he is trustworthy, that he loves you so, so, so very much. The Bible goes on to tell us that this man got up, he took up his mat, and he walked. But do you know what came for him? Freaking opposition. (laughs) Have you ever really tried to get better or get healthier, and then it's like, 
boom. You get hit again. My husband and I were talking this week, and we're like, man, it's kind of been like, like we just keep kind of getting hit a little bit. Nothing serious, but it's just like, man, we could use a break. Anyone ever feel that way? (laughs) And this man is faced with these Pharisees who are really the religious people of the time, and they're like, what do you think you're doing holding that mat? It's the Sabbath day. Who told you you could do that? The man's like, I don't even know his name, but he healed me, and he said, get up, take your mat, and walk. So I got up, I took my mat, and I walked. There is going to be opposition in our life. There's going to be times where we are trying to keep going, but something's going to come. There's going to be times when people maybe say stuff to you about your struggle. (laughs) That they want to take you back out. But this is the most awesome image of grace I have ever seen in all my life. There was a multitude of these people in that room, in that pool of Bethesda waiting. And Jesus stepped around, walked over, and came to the man that he was there to see. And the man didn't even know Jesus' name. He didn't even know his name. He didn't even ask for help. But Jesus knew his heart. He knew the cry and the longing of his soul. He knew that this man needed him that day. And I promise you, that is who your heavenly father is. He is walking towards you. He's bypassing whatever he needs to bypass. So he come and tell you that he is the truth and the way. Guys, when I am struggling and my brain is thinking, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, no one likes you, you can't have friends, when I'm doing that, I'm stopping the life that God has designed for me. But when I get up and I just take the first step and say, I do want something healthier, then my story starts to become something healthier. I feel like in this life, there are a lot of things that can stop us. But I feel like when we think and we hope in who God is, everything begins to change. And I don't want to act like this is overnight. I don't want to act like, poof! Sometimes by the grace of God it is, but most of the time it's not. Most of the time, why we need faith in our life is because we are walking with God again and again and again and again and again and again. And now I'm 41 and I'm looking at God and I'm saying, you are so good. Every time I needed you, you showed up. Every time my mind wanted to rob me, you spoke better. Every time 
time I was stuck, you showed up. And sometimes it took a long time, but now I have a lifetime of following God, a lifetime that no one and nothing can say he is not real because he is my best friend. And he is calling to you today. He is your good and faithful friend. He is your redeemer, your savior. He is the God above all gods. He is your hope. The darkest days only show us how much more beautiful the light is. And so walk in it. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is a God of excellence in every way of kindness, compassion, and mercy. He will never change when I suck and do all the things that I think are going to stop him from loving me. He says, wrong. I will never stop loving you. He is a God of mercy and freedom. And I just am asking you today, if you need help, get it. We have a program, and it's called Mental Health Coaches. And sometimes we just can't do this alone anymore. Sometimes we need some help. And if you are in need of mental health coaches or some sort of help, please, please do not leave this church today. Do not leave offline before you type it in the chat or send us a message. Because I believe that together we can do life. Some of my best friends are counselors. And I I call them a lot, and I'm like, I don't know how to think through this. Can you help me think through this? And they help me think through it. I'm praying for people to get the, the medicine they believe, because you know what? I believe God makes really great doctors, really great therapists, really great medicine that can help our mind. But I also believe he makes really good partners in how we do life. I believe that the scripture is alive and true and when we just go to it and we seek him and we find out who he is, something comes more alive in our soul. Truth will black out all the lies of what our filter is going to do. So I ask you this week, start queuing up that darn filter. I almost cussed. (laughs) Start queuing it up. Stop saying what you can't do and start saying, God, you are good and you love me. God, you are good and you love me. God, you are faithful. Start queuing it up because eventually it becomes your reality. And you will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you so very much. I truly, truly, truly believe that you are a God of mercy, and in our misery, you meet us. Where shame has robbed us or lied, or the unholy one has come in to say, this is the best way. I pray that your truth will speak louder. I pray for every person listening online, every person in this room, every person who will listen to this at a later time. Father, wherever they are, I pray that you captivate them that they get the sense that you've gone around a lot of things to just come straight for their heart. I pray where our mental health is just struggling, Father, that you will guide us, that you will start helping us cue up who you are, what you want for this life, that you'll help us get help, Father. You'll put the right people in our lives. 
trust in you with all my heart. I pray whoever needs you right now that they just get to feel you. They get to sense your presence. I pray that you will transform and do what only you can do. We pray for your healing in your 